You know, oftentimes people are used to ministers kind of being distant and all over the place and not really caring or giving a rip. And uh, you need to know something that the reason that myself, Jeremy, Omar, and Sue do what we do is because we love you guys. And uh, I talked to someone this week who lost a loved one and um, she was so thankful for how her community, her missional community surrounded her and went to the funeral and stuff like that. And, but one thing that she said to me, which I've heard in general, and it wasn't directed at me, it was directed at past experiences. Well, I don't want to bother you. Do me a favor, bother me. I'm serious. We are here because we love you all. We are here because we care. We do what we do, not because it's a vocation, but because it's a life calling. And so if you're ever going through tragedy, if you're ever going through struggle, if you're ever going through hardship, if you ever have questions, if you ever have concerns, do yourself a favor. God has put us in your life for a reason. And if for some reason I can't be there, Omar or Jeremy will be there. That's why we do what we do. This is not some kind of ploy to build this massive church so that we can have our, our agendas filled. We're here because we want to constantly and always make Jesus and his love, truth, and compassion revealed in what goes on right in here, okay? So you need to know that. No matter what you go through, please don't ever use that expression, well, I was concerned you were too busy, because that's bull. That's not what we do. We are here because we love you guys, and we are here because this is what God has called us to. All right? Cool? All right, good. So I'm going to like 400 phone calls this week. <laughs> Um, we're going to have a little fun with a little quiz. And we're going to have a trick question quiz. How many of you guys love trick questions? Remember that? Remember the first one you ever heard as a trick question was, why did the chicken cross the road? And you're like four years old, you're like, why? And someone says, to get to the other side. And then someone says, to see the man lay bricks. And all these things, you're like, ah, that was the stupidest quiz ever. Well, let's look at some tr uh, trick questions. First, first one. If you pass the second person in a race, what will you become? Third, first, or second? <laughs> if you pass the second person, you become the first. Okay? First. First, 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 first. Okay, just joking. Second one. <laughs> Good. See, this is good. Mary's father. Let's go back to the first one, okay? We got to get into the Bible, all right? So maybe I'm wrong. It's a trick question. Second, you're right. Okay, second. I already ruined it. Next one. Mary's father had five children. Mimi? These are really bad names. Like, if, 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 you, if you name your kids, like, someone's got to smack you. Not that I'm into violence, but you need to be smacked. Mimi, Moo Moo, Mama, or May May? What was the fifth child's name? Mary. Okay, are we all in agreement? All in agreement. Amy, are we okay with this? All right, good. Next one. What, Momo? Yeah, I'll Momo you. Next one. What, what is as light as a feather? But even the strongest man cannot hold for more than a few minutes. Breath. His breath, a smile, a feather. Breath. Breath. breath? 
Okay? Think about it. I'll give you the answer next week. Or Amy might know it. You know it? You don't know it? Okay. Next one. Imagine you are in a sinking rowboat surrounded by sharks. This is really healthy. How would you survive? Fly away in a helicopter? You couldn't? The sharks will eat you? Or stop imagining? Okay? All right. Good. Now think about this. Trickery. How many of us are ever in a relationship or in a situation where you're just like, this is a trick question. I'm being manipulated. How do you feel about that? What does it do when, when you feel that you're put in that, those places of, of trickery, of being confused, or, or basically meant to fail? Now, for me, I'm really bad with this, okay? I'm really bad. This is what Omar loves about me. He loves this. Because he loves when I get in these situations because, you know, the flesh comes out. Because I just don't put up with it. I'm just like, you know what, forget it. I, I, I'm done. I'm not even going to play games. And so Omar loves it. He loves watching me in these situations. But this is what happened to Jesus. At the end of his life, and as we begin to wrap up Mark, the Gospel of Mark, right before he goes to the cross, people are trying to trick him to fail to accuse him of different things, to set him up. Why? So that he would be put to death and taken out of the equation. Why? Because he has a massive following. There is a movement taking place that people are just following him and following him and following him. And all they talk about is this Jesus of Nazareth. The one. Not maybe the one. But the one, the chosen one, the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that they've been waiting for for thousands of years. And what we're going to be doing over the next two weeks is that we're going to look into the life of Jesus. And we're going to look at integrity. Because all these men were trying to do was to question Jesus's integrity so that they could find fault in him because the Messiah was supposed to be faultless. So do me a favor, grab a church seat Bible and turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. I'm going to give you a minute. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 through 17. Does someone have that? If so, just tell me what page it is. 608. Page 608, just turn to page 608, and let's read this together. I'll give you one minute. Now remember, end of Jesus' life, there's not much more time left. It's been three years of ministry, and Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the end. He has told them on multiple occasions that he was going to be put to death, that he was going to be risen to life, and they still did not believe him. So something was going on in the atmosphere that caused people, leaders, to push in to coming against him more and more and more and more. Let's read this. Later, the leader sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod 
to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Now those supporters of Herod were a group of Jewish people that were called Herodians. So you had the Pharisees and the Herodians who were both Jewish men who came together to go after Jesus. Jesus, they said, we know how honest you are. Okay, listen to that. We know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Let's stop here for a moment. Now here is where history and understanding culture in ancient times tells us more about this passage. There were two group of Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Both were from Jewish descent, fully Jewish, but yet at opposite sides of the spectrum. The Pharisees were the religious fundamentalists. They were the ultra conservatives. They were the ones that did everything to the law. And matter of fact, when they felt like they had to do more, they made up more and more and more laws. There were thousands of laws added to the Torah that they had put together. Why? Because we all know that, that we feel good when we do the things that we're supposed to do. So for the Pharisees, they felt very religious when they not only did the things that were in the first five books of the Old Testament, but they added things and added things and added things. But the problem is, is that when you add to religion, to faith, it becomes oppression. And actually what was happening was many of these pharisaical leaders weren't doing everything that they were telling other people to do. But it gave them power. Then you have over here, the Herodians. They were the liberal Jewish people. They were the ones that did whatever they wanted to do. They were pro-Roman governments. They loved Rome. They loved their freedom. And basically what they had done is somewhere in their lineage, somewhere in their family, those who were fundamentalists said, you know what? If I can't beat them, what am I going to do? I'm going to join them. And slowly they allowed Roman ways to creep in to the point that they actually looked no different than any Roman citizen. Now here's the funny thing is, these are two extremes of Judaism. You would think that these two different groups wouldn't get along at all. But when two different groups have the same exact threat, what do they do? They band together with the hope of eliminating the one who is causing chaos on both sides. Now here's what's interesting. This is not the first time that these two groups had banded together against Jesus. Mark chapter 3, when Jesus first started his ministry, this is what they did. They banded together to squash what Jesus was beginning in fear that they would lose control of the people. 
in fear that they were going to lose control of the people. Totally different reasons. Totally different expectations. But the same problem. The same concern. The same issue, and that issue was Jesus. Let's continue. Jesus saw through their hypocrisy. You see, what they asked was, we know you are honest, you are impartial, and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Here's the question. Who do we owe our taxes to? Because to the Pharisee, the Pharisee does not want Jesus to say they have to pay taxes. Do you know why? Because taxes went to idol worship. Temples were being built through taxation. Things were happening where the Jewish people were being oppressed through the taxation. And so for the Pharisee, they're saying, tell us. If you are actually the Messiah, you will tell us that we do not owe Caesar anything. Because here's the thing is, if Jesus says that the Jewish people have to pay taxes, he is giving credit to Caesar and his leadership. And so in other words, Jesus is discrediting everything that he said about God. That God is on the throne. That God is to be worshipped. That God is number one. Not man. But on the flip side, to the Herodian, what he is simply saying is this. If he says that he does not have to pay taxes, he is coming against the Roman government. He is saying that he is a revolutionary and that he has actually come to cause problems and havoc against Rome. And so either way, if Jesus says pay taxes, the Pharisees are going to do what? They're going to run around and tell all those who are following him saying he cares more about Caesar than he does you. He is somehow connected with Caesar and not with God. And to the Herodian, if he, they, if he says that you do not have to pay taxes. He's saying that he's a revolutionary. That he's not come to build the kingdom of God. But he's come to build a kingdom that would overthrow the Roman government. And actually what they're trying to get Jesus in is a catch-22. Darn if you do, darned if you don't. If he says yes, the Pharisees hate him. If he says no, what happens? There's this mix-up, this confusion. And no matter what he says, there's no way it can appease both parties. Let's listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus saw through their hypocrisy, and he said this, why are you trying to trap me? Isn't that so, Jesus? 
Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I will tell you. When they handed him a coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped in it? Caesar's, they replied. Now listen to this. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply completely amazed them. All Jesus did was say, give me a coin. And he took a coin. And he looked at that coin. And he saw a face on that coin. Tiberius Caesar. The emperor. And he looked at that coin and he said, with this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, if Caesar is owed his due rights, whether you agree with it or not, pay Caesar what he deserves. Now think about that in our own situation. How many of us try to justify what we do with our finances? Because there are things that we disagree with in our governments. There are things that we know that we do not support or do not want to be a part of that the government funds. And there are times that whether it be an election year or or something happens with with education or or a a social issue that we we really question ourselves and saying, what do we do? Where are my tax dollars going to? And Jesus simply says this to the Pharisees. You live under Roman law and give to Caesar what is due him. Now think about the Herodians, what they were thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's my kind of Jesus. Now he's on my side. Now he has my back. I told you, Pharisees, he was more about Rome than you made out to be. But here's what he did next. He said, but then what I want you to do is this. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's a third, a tenth, a fifth, whatever it is that their governmental law was, you pay them what it is. But then I want you to give to God what is God's. Let me see that coin again. I I only see Caesar in like some kind of temple thing. There's no God on that coin. There's no God. Like, like, what do I do? There's no God on this coin. There's only Caesar. Give to God. What is God's? You see, on the coin bears the image of Caesar. But there's something in this world that bears the image of God that God is due. Let me read you this passage, this verse. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. You see, here's a problem with a passage like this. 
just like the Pharisees and the Herodians, many ministers manipulate this passage. They use this passage as great. This is a great way to do like a financial talk in church. And we can raise all this money to do all of our ministry. So just like the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the Zealots, let's take Scripture and let's manipulate it. This had nothing to do with taxes. This had to do with honesty. This had to do with integrity. And Jesus was questioning their integrity. And what Jesus was saying, in your integrity... You give to Caesar what is his and let me take care of it. But here's the greater integrity. Give to God what is God's. What does that mean? It means that we give our whole life to God. Because every time I see my wife Sue, I see the image of God. Every time I see my daughter I see the image of God. Every time I see my friend Tom, I see the image of God. Every time I see Scott, I see the image of God. Every time I see Brandon, I see the image of God. Every time I see Allison, I see the image of God. Every time someone sees me, they see the image of God because we are created in His image. We are not God, but we are image bearers. And every time I look into a mirror, I owe God Him. Not a fifth, not 2.5%, not a tenth, not 20%, not 30%. I owe God my all. Trickery. I was listening to an amazing message yesterday when I was cutting the lawn. And this minister had said that that one of the biggest problems in the church today is that we are more about principles than we are about the kingdom of God. You see, so many of us that have come from church backgrounds or or religious backgrounds, we we have a principle of how to follow God. If I need wisdom, then I only look in Proverbs. If I'm looking to do things do church the way that church is supposed to be done, then I look at Ephesians. And we look at principles. But that's not what faith is. Faith is living under the kingship of Jesus Christ. If you live under Christian principles, you will be gravely disappointed. If you live under Christian principles, you may think that life is really, really good, but I promise you, one day you will look back and see how empty it actually is. Yes, you may look like you're doing okay. Yes, you may have a nice house and a picket fence and 2.5 kids, I don't know how that works, and a dog and all these different things. But one day you will look in the gospel and you will say, Bull. And what Jesus is pointing to is he's talking about the king, the creator, the personal creator of our souls. And what we owe him is our all. Do you know what the right definition of integrity is? The state of being whole. 
W-H-O-L-E. We get all caught up in being holy, doing principles that make us holy. When all Jesus is saying, I want you to experience wholeness. I want you to know what it means to be under the lordship of myself so you know that I am Christ, your savior. That yes, you realize you're broken and I am here to put you back together. That I am Christ, your sanctifier, that that you no longer will be the person who you've been. I love that about Jesus. I hate who I was. I hate who I was. That Christ is my healer, that even in my brokenness, even when my friends, grandchildren are struggling, that I still believe that Christ can swoop down and heal those two little babies. I believe that. And I believe that Christ one day is going to be my coming king. Whether in death or in life, one day, my only hope is that Christ is my king. What does it mean to ask God questions? It's not that you would get your answers, but that Jesus would answer you perfectly. Do not make God a principle. Allow God to be king of your life. Allow Jesus to give you the Prince of Peace. And stop playing games with God that you start saying, well, you know what? I'll give you this if you give me that. I'll do this if you do that. If you show up today, I'll show up tomorrow. Remember we talked about last week with being with Christ or being in Christ? Jesus is saying, be men and women of integrity. Be a follower of Christ. And the only way to be a follower of Christ is to be wholly His. W-H-O-L-Y. I hope I spelled that right. I didn't? I didn't spell it right, did I? Good thing I'm working on my doctrine. Be wholly His. Wholly His. Wholly His. I promise you, if you are wholly His, He is present. And I promise you this, if God is a God of principles, you will be failed. And I really feel like for this morning, that there's two forms that we are being asked For those who are here that have never had that relationship or just getting into that relationship and you find yourself wandering and figuring out what does this look like, all Jesus is saying this, be wholly mine. Be wholly mine. Learn to live under my complete authority. Let me be king because you bear my image. And for all of you that have some kind of church background, I think Jesus is saying this today, stop. Stop the principles. Stop it. Stop manipulating the system. 
Stop asking me questions that you know that are different, the answer is different than you are trying for me to tell you. Because if you don't, you will never experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. Be men and women of integrity. Stop playing by your rules. Stop manipulating the system at home, in your heart, at work, in your community. Stop. Put it away and let me be wholly yours. Do you know I have to do that as a minister all the time? Do you know I can get wrapped up in this more than I can in him? There's so many times that I just find myself, just God, I gotta be holy yours. Holy yours. Holy yours. Here's what I want us to do as we go to communion. This week and next week is all about integrity. And the funny thing about this is, is that the question of integrity is always posed through the issue of finances. Isn't that funny? Do you know one of the, the number one topics that Jesus talked about because he was questioned on it was finances? I think finances was talked about over 800 and something times in the gospel. Ooh, where are you going with that, Rob? So Jesus is saying, where are you going with that? But every time someone tried to trick him with a financial question, Jesus says it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with your condition of your heart. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Are you wholly his? Are you wholly his? Only come up today. Be a person of integrity. That you would come up today and say, Jesus, I want to be wholly yours. Wholly yours. We can never be holy because our righteousness is as filthy rags. But what we can do is we can be holy His. Let me pray for communion.